I am Todd Nathanson. And I'm Danny Roth. This is Song vs. Song. How you doing today? How you feel? Well, were you <laughs> were you teeing me up to say the thing? Did you want of me to Of course I was. Say, All right. Well, I don't know. I feel fine. It, it's the end of the world as we know it, and, and I feel... I feel bad. I, why did I even say <laughs> fine? No, I feel terrible. What a nightmare. How are, how are, how are you doing? You feel like you started any fires recently? Um, I deny knowledge of who started this. I know it wasn't me. It's uh, I didn't start the fire, and I didn't shoot the deputy. <laughs> All right. All right. I, what's what songs could we be discussing today? We are discussing REMs. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Versus Billy Joel's "We Didn't Start the Fire." Uh, you suggested this, I think. I think I already had it on the radar anyway, and I think we've gotten multiple suggestions for this one. These two songs have absolutely nothing in common. Except, except, that except they re- for the one guy that put them back-to-back or put them concurrent so you can listen to them at the same time. He's talking about Neil Cecir... I don't know how to pronounce his name. Neil Cecirig is uh, Space Monkey Mafia, which is a mashup of the two. Yeah, the thing is, like, even though these songs have absolutely nothing in common, they just resemble each other more than they resemble any other song in the history of rock music. So they've always been paired up together, but like they have they have different themes. They're mostly different genres. REM is like a indie alternative rock band versus Billy Joel, who was barely rock at the time. I guess adult contemporary. They come at different points in the artist's respective careers, and yet they will always be paired together. Which did you pick? Well, I feel it's very important to say from the outset that the reason why we resisted doing this is because we sometimes pretend that we're not going to do blowout episodes where there's a clear winner. (laughs) But uh, this is an occasion in which we threw caution to the wind because it just seemed so obvious not just as a song versus song that we would inevitably do, that uh-huh. seems like one we kind of have to do now. Yes, uh, interest in It's the End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine by R.E.M. is at an all-time high. Yep, people are listening to it. What Man, I wonder why. Yeah, I think it recharted on iTunes or wherever things chart now. We Didn't Start the Fire um, has not charted because it's pretty tied to a specific moment in time. That being like 1989, and like they were always talking about doing updates of it, but uh, no, I think that one doesn't need any more verses. It stays right where it is, and yet people have never forgotten it. Right. Okay. So uh, you asked where did I land? My my gut uh-huh. instinct response, and that is, um, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. I don't even think this is remotely a competition <laughs> I, I mean we can talk about both of these songs but by all accounts this should be a five minute podcast <laughs> that song is Which the winner pencils down <laughs> read the results it's over <laughs> but we can we can talk about both songs but this is the most there's a clearer winner to me than we as far as episodes go than we've ever done where did you land though it's a funny thing, like, the other day, like, a friend of mine was, like, sh- sharing, like, his favorite songs of 1989, and this was, like, a big, long list, and, uh, in the rankings, We Didn't Start the Fire was, like, right in the middle of it, like, f- 50 out of 100 or something like that, and I was listening to it, and I was like, I like this song, and that is, like, something I have, I do, like, too. I do, li- I, I, don't, I don't dislike We Didn't Start the Fire, I know why it's listed as one of the worst songs ever made. I know yeah, why people on. don't like it, but I do like the song. Like when I say that there's a clear winner, it's not about whether or not this song is bad. Well, like it took me 30 years to come to that conclusion. It was like, cause you know, hmm, huh, hmm. versus it's the end of the world as we know it. We're like, we're in- instantly the first time I heard it is like, Whoa, this blew my mind. This is the, one of the greatest songs ever. Which, uh, you know, that my opinion of that has not changed. So obviously, yes, obviously R.E.M. is the winner. But it's just easier to like R.E.M. than it is to like Billy Joel. Yeah, you know, I'd had this thought that um, is maybe superficial. But uh, 
So I, I um I actually did like Billy Joel for a long time and uh and I still there's still songs of his that I like. But there was a period in time when I had a lot of friends that were big fans of his. And so I had gotten that big collection, like his greatest hits, volumes one, two, and three. One, two, and three, yeah. And um, there is a track on, I think, the third one that I feel really kind of helps illustrate a thing that maybe people don't talk about a lot, which is that Billy Joel is a bad singer. Whoa, where did that come from? Here's my proof. Yeah. Or, or it, that he's unexceptional. There's a song on the third one, I believe, called Baby Grand, and it is a song in which he very foolishly does a duet with Ray Charles. Ray Charles, yes. And here's the thing. You start listening to that song, and Billy Joel is singing, and you're like, this sounds good. Like, not talking about whether or not the song is great or good or bad, or but like him singing in it is fine. And then Ray Charles starts to sing... And Billy Joel instantly sounds like shit by comparison. Like the difference is so stark that I can't even believe he let that song out into the world. You know, I do I do a lot of karaoke and I do Billy Joel songs a lot because he's in my range. And plus, you know, I'm the, the piano guy. I have to like Billy Joel at least a little. And but like when you do his songs and I, I try to do the impression, he sings so weird. His voice is odd and lumpy. You never let me down before. Mm-hmm. It's almost like Randy Newman esque. Yeah, not, maybe I, that's maybe that's not the right word, or you know, but like, it's it's an odd instrument that he has to work around. Right. Whereas Michael Stipe is not working around anything. Michael Stipe's voice cuts through anything immediately. His voice is so instantly recognizable. Yeah, he's got that very great sound to his voice. I don't know if you, everyone, anyone has ever really called him a great vocalist, but I would absolutely call him a great vocalist. I absolutely think that he is, and my proof of that is back in 2016 when we thought things were bad. <laughs> Remember, we were all calling 2016 the yeah. worst year ever. Yeah, oh, my yeah. God. Hilarious. But um, yeah. Stephen Colbert, who would have... Michael Stipe on his old show, The Colbert Report, pretty frequently, I think he'd shown up like nine times or something, uh-huh. uh, had had uh, Michael Stipe come onto The Late Show, mm-hmm. and they did a song called It's the End of the Year as We Know It, and I Feel Fine. I, I have to assume it was a great year. It was like a decent year. <laughs> it was terrible. It was really yeah. just a lot of complaints. But So basically, it's it's Stephen Colbert singing, and right next to him is Michael Stipe, with a microphone in front of him and Michael Stipe just doesn't like the bit is that he doesn't want to sing it. So he's Mm -hmm. just standing there not singing and Colbert is singing and singing and singing. And (laughs) there is a point in which like the first time he like, you know, Colbert goes, um, it's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel, and he turns to Michael Stipe and Michael Stipe just shakes his head and is like, I'm not doing this. (laughs) And eventually he finally gets Michael Stipe, not even to sing, but just say the word fine. And it's said Mm -hmm. that way that Michael Stipe says the word fine in the song. Mm -hmm. And then he sings a verse. And you've been listening to Stephen Colbert, who is perfectly competent. He can sing a song, but he is not Mm -hmm. a singer professionally. That's not his job. And then Michael Stipe comes in and sings arguably one of my favorite songs of the 1980s. And he sings it as though it's still 1987 and it sounds fucking incredible. And it just really, again, it's it's the same thing where, or the inverse of the Billy Joel thing where like Billy Joel is singing and then you hear Ray Charles and you're like, oh no, Billy Joel is not really like, <laughs> singing is not his strong suit. Whereas Michael Stipe, you might not think like, oh, he's a great singer until you hear somebody else try to sing his song and then him actually sing the song and go, oh no, Michael Stipe is very fucking good at this. Although like, I've I've heard he still needs like the lyrics in front of him to sing this particular one. That's I mean Billy and, Joel is the same way. He doesn't remember the lyrics, so we didn't start the fire. He's <laughs> he's gone on record saying that sometimes he stares out into the audience to watch people <laughs> mouth stuff, so he goes like, "All oh, right, yeah, that's where it goes." <laughs> that's the that's the that's the curse of having a a song like this become popular. You know, I'm sure the bare naked yeah. ladies have a hell of a time with one week every time too. Oh man, I I guess that's the only other comparable song. 
to these two. Well, uh, Subterranean Homesick Blues is the other one. Um, that's the song that apparently R.E.M. was somewhat influenced by. Yeah, the Bob Dylan one where he like holds up the, the, the signs with the words on it. Yep. And, uh, don't need a weather vane to know which way the wind blowing. And, like, it didn't even occur to me but when I read that. I was like, oh, right, yeah, that is what um, Michael Stipe was going for. It, that one makes total sense. Meanwhile, We Didn't Start the Fire is a pretty singular thing. There is no song like We Didn't Start the Fire, and that's why I think that one kind of sticks out to my mind as something I was like, I would defend Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. I don't think belongs on all those worst songs of the of all-time lists. Well, so like the reason why people don't like that song is not really the composition, right? right? Although Billy Joel himself doesn't. He says it sounds like a mosquito caught in your ear because he wrote the lyrics first and then he wrote the the music afterwards. There's not going to be another better melody for those for that thing. I mean, that's when you write a song like that, that's what you come up with. But the thing that I think is strange is that, you know, that Space Monkey Mafia thing that um, mm-hmm. got quoted, that section yeah. I actually think is very emblematic of what I like about the song is like he very smartly when he comes out of the, the that particular chorus, mm-hmm. he does where he goes, uh oh, and then says, buddy, Holly, Ben, her Space Monkey Mafia, like yeah. It's that he has done the uh-oh to reference Buddy Holly, and then there's something very bouncy about the meter of the song and the lyrics. Like I it, never got that. Oh, my God. He's doing a Buddy Holly impression. It's just like when, when he says uh, Psycho, you hear the Chubby Checker Psycho. They, psycho. They, 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 you hear the sound. That are, there, are there screaming girls in the background when he does British Beatlemania? Uh, I don't remember. I know there's, um, I mean, he's got the cheers at the beginning of the song, so I don't remember if they yeah. fade back in at that moment. But, like, it's, a, it's. I guess it's a cheap trick, but um, I find it to be very effective. And it just, thinking about those parts of that song remind me that it does kind of bounce along the whole way in a way that I actually think is pretty pleasant. And I don't think yeah. it's the complaint that people have about the song. The song, as far as people not liking it goes tends to be about the message of the song and the fact that the historical nature of it is just i think i forget who it was that said it's like somebody was writing their book report and it's like the thing that they wrote about their history book report or whatever like the night before like they wrote it in like (laughs) like half an hour like they just named a bunch of things and that's it i think some punk whose name I can't remember, I can't remember where I heard this quote, was like, said that this is not a song, it's a grocery list. He doesn't have like any context for it, it's just a bunch of things. Except that there is a context, and the context is the chorus, and that's there, right there, is the problem, yeah. right? This is why people call this the OK Boomer song, right? Yeah. Not that we're going to, not that we need to dally on that, but... It's the idea that it's nobody's fault that these things are. Certainly, it's not Billy Joel's fault, and it's not his generation's fault. It's it's nobody's. It's really nobody's responsibility. It's just that you know we try to put out this fire, but you know you just what can you do? Nothing. So I guess we'll just let it burn. <laughs> oh well, here's Tiananmen Square behind me. Yikes! <laughs> That's one interpretation of what we didn't start the fire means. But I also like the interpretation is like. Like, it's not that it's no one's responsibility. It's that the world has always been a trash fire. Like, we didn't start it. it it's weird because it works with, like, the flood of shit that he throws at you. It's like, oh, man, everything is always exhausting all the time. I mean, he said he did that in the 80s. The 80s were not a particularly exhausting time. But, like, if like you could do this for any decade and it would feel like a lot is how I always interpreted it. But, like, it's open to interpretation, we'll say. Yeah, and one, the thing is that I find that it's less open in some ways than it's the end of the world as we know it and I feel fine. And yet in others, it feels more like Michael Stipe, despite himself, despite the way he describes that song, has taken a very specific uh, political side in it. Like, that's that's the thing, right? Like, he says, like, well, this is a stream of consciousness thing, 
part of it is from a dream that I had, uh, you know, and uh, part of it is from me flipping around the the um, the TV, like just changing the channels. But the in point of fact, he had had another song that uh, that he had written that was sort of an early draft of this that didn't ever get released, but then got sort of re-released in another form uh, called Bad Day much later. Yeah, that was like a, on the Greatest Hits CD or something like that, or something very late in their career. And the thing is that that song is very clearly anti-Reagan, um, much more definitively so uh, than uh, It's the End of the World as We Know It. But that is the song that is the starting point for that. So it's kind of hard for me not to ultimately still see the impact of that. And there are a bunch of lyrics from that song, you know? And it's also like... Mm-hmm. This is the same, this is off the same album document that has Exhuming McCarthy on it, you know? Yeah. So it's just, it's very, I think you, if you look at the albums, it starts to become clear, right? You look at document versus Stormfront. Yeah, like what I was going to say is like another big difference is that document is, you know, pretty, pretty high on the list of REM albums, like at least in the top five for a lot of people. Versus Stormfront, which is an extreme low point for Billy Joel. No one likes that album. And yet, it's no The Stranger. It's weird. I actually really liked Stormfront. And going through it <laughs> now, as we were researching this stuff, I realized that there are still songs that I like off of it. Um, you know, I like Down Easter Alexa. I can't even lie. Eh, I like that song. Uh, and I like And So It Goes. How do you feel on I Go to Extremes? I actually I loved that song when it, when I first heard it. Um, it's it's still pretty good, you know. And but then at the same time, it's like is uh, is we didn't start the fire the worst song off of that album? Absolutely fucking not. It's not. There's no, no way. No, absolutely not. I I think it's the best song off that album. Honestly, I don't really like that album. I um no. There's a couple songs on it that I like, but like from the perspective of Billy Joel trying to say something and face planting <laughs> instead, even that I don't think it's the worst. In my mind, that embarrassment goes to Leningrad, where it's just so like like ru- a Russian sad and angry drink vodka become circus clown like. What a what a weird thing he did. And maybe it'll turn out that that's based on a real person. I didn't look it up, but I always thought that song seemed very like, why are you trying to talk about Russia, Billy Joel? I mean, I know Dude. why, but why <laughs> do the Russians love their children, too? Yeah, it's but- anyway. Um, so I think it's I think you have to look at the songs in the context of the albums that they um, that they're on. And yeah, document is a much better record it was um the first record where it was produced uh by the band and, and another guy uh, whose name i don't have in front of me right now but like the quality of that record from a production standpoint was a big step up for rem and sort of set a set like a gold standard you know like it's it's the album before the really big album right like no i think there's an album in between oh is there well, like no, a document has the one I love on it. That yep. was like their first real hit, and that's the start of like REM pop stars as opposed to the indie darlings they'd been for most of the decade. Yeah. After that comes Green. Oh right. That has has Stand and Pop Song eighty nine on it, and then is uh, out of time with Losing My Religion on it. There it is. Yeah. And that's the start of REM superstars versus Billy Joel. That's his. This is his second to last album. Uh, he did River of Dreams after that, and then he just quit. He just up and quit. And he never recorded again. Well, he he's made some classical albums, but he just lost interest in being a rock star or at least a pop star. Stormfront is like kind of considered his uh, sellout album. He's like, no, I'm gonna go all nothing but hits on this one because the the one before it didn't do so well. It was a lot more artsy, and it was like, nope, back to making the hits. But we didn't start the fire. Is the only one that's really. It's one of the uh, few you know, big hits that he technically had, though. It's one of his. It's one of the few like big number one hits he had. He has had surprisingly fewer number ones than you would think. He has a, three. Yeah, and uh, the other ones are it's uh, tell her about it, which is like tell her about it, really. And the other one is uh, what is it? Uh, it's it's uh, it's still rock and roll to me, which is one of the worst songs ever made. Like bottom five. Wow. No, I have like a full body repulsion against it's 
still rock and roll to me. I have hated that song so hard, like in a way that I can't even describe it. Like it is Lovecraftianly terrible. I think it's important to me now to survive this plague that's upon us just so that I can go to karaoke with you (laughs) and sing this song and watch. Oh, I I will suddenly have to go to the bathroom, I promise you. No, I'll make someone, someone will block the door (laughs) and we will will see uh, your skin try to escape your body. I'll film it and I'll put it on the internet for people to see on Twitter. (laughs) Or Instagram, uh, I'm sorry. That's a that's more of a... TikTok, we'll make a TikTok out of it. You know, I don't understand why we didn't st- start the fire gets all the hate and not that one. You know, a- actually, doubling back to something I was saying earlier, like how like we didn't start the fire exists only in the 80s, that's because it was like already looking backwards at that point. Yeah, it was looking backwards from the year that he was born to the present day. Honestly, most of that song exists in the 50s. If you look up the actual lyrics... Like, it's almost all the 50s, and once it gets past uh, 1962, it starts speeding towards the end. Yep. Like, w- wa- it's like Woodstock, Watergate, punk, rock. There are, like, four-year jumps in between those three things. Yep. So it doesn't really feel like an 80s song. Whereas is, we're talking about it's the end of the world as we know it, it feels timeless. That is a very 80s song. It is, in- but it isn't. It is in that the sentiment is very 80s. Like, this was clearly written in the, the height of the Cold War. Right. Well, he was, um, uh, Michael Stipe was writing uh, in part about um, Iran-Contra, you know. Like, this was this whole event where we were getting this sense of uh, a president operating in a way that was highly immoral, uh, trying to defeat communism abroad by supporting terrorists in secret. That's a weird that's a weird thing that happened and it feels weirdly I mean like this is the thing it happened and so yes, you know, to a degree that's one of the things that Michael Stipe is thinking about when he's writing this song, but you know, it's not as though that type of event, that type of shitty president went away in 1987. It's not like America doing shady shit that then we look at and we go, "Oh fuck. Everything that is going to happen to us. It's bad. We kind of deserve it. Shit. Fuck. It, yeah. It turns out this extremely 80 sentiment of it feels like the world is going to, we're all going to die in a nuclear explosion has many, uh, other things it could be used for. And I, I think it, um, I think it popped up after nine 11. I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. But, um, yeah, I don't, Boy, I had something else that I was going to say. Oh, I was going to make fun of Cola Wars, but we don't need to. It's been it's been it's been done to death that that rock and roll and Cola Wars. I can't take it anymore. Is just truly one of the dumbest lyrics in the history of lyrics. You know, it's a, it's a funny thing. The while that one is the one that gets most of the attention. The thing for me is uh, JFK blown away. What else do I have to say? <laughs> well, my name is Billy Joel, and I'm here to say. <laughs> You know, someone was, I saw someone point out the other day that, you know, Bob Dylan, speaking of subterranean homesick blues, just released like a 17 minute song about JFK. I was like, JFK blown away. What else do I have to say? Take it away, Uh, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have 17 minutes worth of material on this. Yeah. JFK blown away. Can I make it any more obvious? Oh my gosh. The look on your face. It was good. It was a really, I wasn't <laughs> expecting an Avril Lavigne drop just then, but it was good. It's just that like you compare that with um, offer me solutions, offer me alternatives and I decline. It's like, that's like such a fucking, that is a, that wrecks me every time. That's such a good lyric. And so yeah. many of the lyrics in that, like, you know, like, yes, some of the stuff is stream of consciousness, but fuck. I don't know, man. Like, there is some stuff here that that hits me like a goddamn freight train. And, you know, I really, truly, all kidding aside, um, decided that I would listen to these songs as I do every other episode. I just listened to both songs back to back for a while to mm-hmm. really get the feeling off of what is the song, at least in the moment, that appeals to me more. And right. I listened to We Didn't Start the Fire and enjoyed it. And thought, like, as dumb as this is, I can still appreciate it for what it is. 
Whereas I listen to It's the End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine and it absolutely destroys me every time. That's the difference. Well, you said, you know, that you picked up that particular line. I was like, offer me alternatives and I decline. There's a very 90s sense of like ironic nihilism there. The I just the idea that, you know, this isn't going to get better. And REM turned out to be one of the biggest acts in the 90s. And uh, it almost strikes me as like a Kurt Cobain kind of sentiment. Kurt Cobain was a huge REM fan. Yeah. But also, I mean, this is this is the thing, right? Like I we're living in an era not to not to be like we live in a society, but, you know, <laughs> but the I, that particular lyric really speaks to the times now. And and maybe it always did. But it feels so on point to this moment just because you look at where things are and we have never been more rejecting of centrism than now not in my lifetime I have no memory of people being so anti-centrism as they are in and take a drink the year of our lord 2020 just like everything is that it's either one thing or the other right and like that's you know we're living through the consequences of that and both the both that and the necessity for that like you know you can't there is no compromise there you know what I mean like there's no, you 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 can't compromise on climate change, for example. You know what I mean? Like you, there is there isn't a series of solutions on what to do about yeah. most of the largest problems affecting the world. There's just the one thing that you have to do. So these compromise, these half measures are insufficient. And I feel yeah. like the song kind of comes back around now and has that meaning. And I'm sure that it probably had that meaning then, too. But. Yeah, it just really it hit me very hard that like that is how I feel all the time. You know, like I don't have any interest in Joe Biden. He's a half measure. I, You know, <laughs> if we're going to go socialism, then fucking do it. That's it. You know what I mean? Like and that's it's interesting. Did you not? Boy, did you not go back and look at the different like 1987 versus 1989? Because I 100 percent was like, what was Bernie Sanders up to in 1987? Like, what was Donald no. Trump doing in 1989? Answer 1987. Bernie Sanders was singing a folk song. And in mm-hmm. 1989, Donald Trump was screaming about the Central Park Five. So on brand in both categories. I feel like we didn't start the fires for for the Biden fans, honestly. I guess, yeah, yeah, I could see that. I, that seems like more of a Joe Biden song and, and End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine is a very Bernie song. And for Trump, we got just like an endless uh, five-minute fart noises. Anyway, I wasn't, I didn't mean for it to be like that. <laughs> we, we, I picked It's the End of the World as We Know It during this particular time in history. Like, it, it was going to come up. It's an extremely fun song. It comes on the car radio. You got a packed crowd. Everyone sings along. It does feel fine. It, you know, it takes all the anxieties of the world you feel, and it like it makes it kind of uh, livable. I feel like. Yeah, I, I yes. I mean, it has that great chorus. We, you know, everyone wants to sing along. Everyone tries to sing along with the the cor- uh, with the verses, even though they can't. Like, I don't even know if Michael Stipe knows what he's singing most of the time. Yeah, I mean, I think the band was very surprised when they took that song on the road the first time. I think that's on uh, Song Facts or someplace else that yeah. they were a little um, disturbed at first that people <laughs> were bopping along and having such a good time to these very apocalyptic lyrics. <laughs> but it is it is a weirdly feel good song. I remember. Did you I mean, like you would have been so young. Do you even remember the song playing on the radio? No, I mean, it wasn't really a hit. Is, is what I understand. And, uh, you know, by the time uh, I started listening to rock music, like R.E.M.'s moment had, moment had kind of passed. I mean, I, I remember my dad was a big fan of losing my religion. But other than that, um, no, I, I think it would come on occasionally on the alt rock stations. I grew up in, in New Jersey. Take a drink uh, in 1987. <laughs> I, re- I remember very distinctly uh, I would go I would commute to school commute. I, my my mother would pick up um, uh, this kid that I was friends with, Greg Rogers, and he and I would go to school. And in, in 1987, things are really fucking shit for me because I, you know, I'd had this first grade teacher that um, nobody told me at the time, but like 
she hated me and I didn't know why. And then I found out later that she was uh, super anti-Semitic. That was exciting to find out much later in life. But um, I was getting beat up after school all the time and she was allowing it because she didn't care. And um, during that time, that song would occasionally come on. And my buddy Greg also was not really having a very good time. And so he bought the the tape. He bought the the tape for document. And so we would throw it into the into the tape deck in the car and listen to it um, at the like on the way into school or on the way back. And it was sort of this release. It was a real release song for both of us. I hadn't really thought about that until you uh, picked these two songs. But I suddenly remembered that it got me through some shit that it made me feel good to sing because you can kind of scream it too, right? Like at the very least you're screaming Leonard Bernstein and at seven, <laughs> I didn't know what it, what, what that meant. I don't still don't quite know if I know what it means, but um, I, I looked up the, uh, the, I love the eighties segment on it on YouTube. The, Cause they have the old VH one shows on there. Right. And w- one of them was talking about, I was like, yeah, me and all my frat bros, you know, you used to sing along with that song. And the other one was like, it was so anti-pop, like, you know, versus like the Bon Jovi's and the Whitney Houston's you would have been listening to in 1987. And it was like, it, it was weird because like I kind of caught that divide where, you know, you could be like a meathead and still sing along with it. But you could also, if you were like an alt- alternative indie nerd, this was like your song. Yeah. Or you could be a first grader. <laughs> yeah. Or a first grader. You know, and I certainly was that, you know, which is wild to think because yeah we didn't start the fire was a song like i remembered the music video pretty well Mm -hmm. and i knew the song generally i remember being in high school like i said that was around the same time when i was in a choir and we did uh and so it goes so i was aware of stormfront in that way and so we didn't start the fire was more reverse engineered for me How, how so in the sense that like i knew REM because I knew um, it's the end of the world as we know it. I know uh, we didn't start the fire because I knew Billy Joel because Billy Joel was just in the ether. Yeah. Well, yeah, like like we said, this was like one of REM's first hits and uh, it didn't, wasn't really quite a, like a chart hit. No, it wasn't. You don't like, it doesn't show up on like a hot 100 chart really. It it did, but But like not as like an end of the year thing. It wasn't big enough. It wasn't long enough lasting. Versus We Didn't Start the Fire, which went all the way to number one, which is, like, absolutely insane to me. But, you know, we talk about, like, there's a lot of release in saying the the world is ending and I feel fine. I do f- find it kind of comforting We Didn't Start the Fire, too. Because, you know, like, like, this is not, like, a particular moment in history. Like, everything's always crazy. And I kind of got the same feeling watching uh, The Favorite, the movie about, like, Yes, I'm familiar Queen with the favorite f- from like four. It's like this is about stuff 400 years ago. It's like, oh, like, you know, maybe we're going to be OK because we've always been ruled by morons and everything's always been kind of crazy. There is a little bit of comfort there, too. Like I said, it's still like a very silly song, but it does like it does hit me a little. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah. just think that um, one song is done with such intent and then the other just kind of lucks into having an impact. I just think that yeah. that the Michael Stipe lyrics are so unbelievably good. They are, even though the ones uh, I can't quite make out. Like in, I was like reading some of the lyrics. So it was like in the song facts, like this part is about this, and I was like, I had no idea what that lyric even was. And I go to all the lyric sites, and they all have different lyrics listed. I was like, wow, even to this day, we don't know the lyrics to this song definitively. Because, you know, Michael Stipe was a, up until like 1989 was like a serious mumbler. And like people would debate about like what he was even saying. People didn't have a clue. He was known for it. He was mysterious that way. We Didn't Start the Fire is just a goofy song. It's just a goofy fucking song. And, you know, we're t- trying to argue about what we didn't start to the fire, what that line means. I'm still not sure what it means. Like, it, it seems like half-assed rather than mysterious. It's like, how do I tie all these random thoughts together? It's like, we didn't start the fire. What does that mean? I don't know. Billy Joel just wanted to write a list of things. It, like, I remember hearing somewhere that he wanted to be a history teacher growing up. And eventually he had to settle for being, like, one of the best-selling artists of all time. So I feel like this was, like, 
his way of like teaching history, but you don't really learn anything from this. You learn a, it's a glossary. Right. Well, I mean, like I know didn't I think somewhere when I was researching, they said that there was a history teacher who was like, just use this song, pick one one lyric from the song, and then do do a book report about it. Yeah, by a history meet teacher, you mean every history teacher. Yeah, but that's I'm the thing. Fairly... Like, we didn't start the fire as a as a as as a matter of historical record has the same educational quality of movie day when the teacher didn't feel like <laughs> teaching the class, you know. At, at the very least, it's a start. So, like, if you are curious about what these lyrics mean, you can go on to Genius.com and read all the annotations. Or, like, even be- before Genius.com, there was, like, long lists of annotations that people put up. Like, it was, like, one of the first things people put on the Internet. It was, like, what the hell does We Didn't Start the Fire mean? What do What is Dien Bien Phu? Who is Singman Rhee? Lawrence of Arabia? I don't know. That's a, That one's a movie. I can help yes. with that. I owned it on Blu-ray. <laughs> Uh, anyway, all right, so we do a thing, uh, for every show, it's three questions, we ask three mm-hmm. very critical questions, I feel like we have really talked this one to death, so now we can, we can do the three questions. Ne- we necessarily talk these things to death, they're, like, 5,000 words long, each of them. That's fair, we should have gone line by line, boy, that would have been a gas <laughs> for you and me and no one else, so, question number one, one of these songs gets to keep existing, one will be lost to the annals of time, forgotten by you, me, and everyone we know. Uh, a great Miranda July movie. And also, <laughs> a thing I just said. So a Terrible Miranda July movie. I hate that movie. I am the Go only on. person that likes this film, and I'm this is, this is worse than liking this Billy Joel song, probably. But, all right. Which song has to stay? Like, what song must persist in, um, in, the, in history's memory for all time? You know, we talk about these songs where like we're like even if i don't like the song sometimes i will go uh well it's more historically important so like i will uh pick that here i don't know which one is more important so i am just going to default the the one i like more it's the end of the world as we know it but like like i said there is no other we didn't start the fire and like people reference it continually all the time we're talking about making new versions doing parodies of it like it's a song you can't forget. So I feel like, at the very least, it is comparable in, in you know, in the cultural space as it's the end of the world as we know it. I'm just picking it's the end of the world as we know it because I like it more. As somebody who has gone onto Facebook and said, "Well, you know, what if we did new lyrics to We Didn't Start <laughs> the Fire?" I absolutely am that basic. If I didn't have the ability to go on Facebook and write that stupid fucking question. Would I keep living? Yes, I think I would. I think I would be just fine. But you know, I don't think that I would feel fine without the without, end, without the end of the world as we know it. Um, I think that's yeah. As, it's what as would make you feel fine about the end of the world? Without it's the end of the world, you know, and I feel fine. See, I'm glad that we could reach this agreement. I don't. I just yeah. Yep. One of these songs just I get layers off of it that I wouldn't otherwise get, you know, like I'd hate to be the one that's like, this is the one that really makes you think, huh? But it is, it's just the one that makes me think uh, more than the other one, which is just a lot, just a grocery list. So yeah, that would be my choice. All right. So that's easy. Question number two, yeah. uh, you can be around uh, for the full composition of one of these two songs and only one of these two songs, like a true fly on the wall experience, the whole thing, soup to nuts um, which song is it that you want to be around for? Honestly, it's the end of the world as we know it again. Uh, and for what it's worth, I I like I really like the riff to "We Didn't Start the Fire," but like other than that, I'm not sure there's a whole lot interesting going in that song. Versus, it's the end of the world as we know it. I'd really like to see them work that one out. I lo- I love that like when they come up with the opening drum roll. And uh, the the harmonies when they came up with that, yeah, I feel like they'd just be more interesting to watch. REM. I think that I will agree with that. If, as part of this experience, I get to see the dream that Michael Stipe had <laughs> with all with with all the LB characters. Leonid, Brezhnev, Lenny Bruce, and Lester Banks, birthday party, cheesecake, jelly bean, boom, you symbiotic, patriotic. Yeah. Yes. That's it. Um, I just the idea of of um, Michael Steep, Michael Stipe, Michael Steep, Michael Stipe having a dream, um, wherein he hangs out with all those those cast of characters. 
I always, yeah, Lenny Bruce is not afraid. Again, what a what a great lyric. What a good one. Um, <laughs> I just, anyway, yeah, I just the idea. Like, I'm like, oh, cool. I could see a dream where Michael Stipe is hanging out with Lenny Bruce. That sounds great. Like, Lenny Bruce just saying, like, completely honest things and then getting arrested for it because he used a cuss word thing is like I, I saw a quote from peter buck the guitarist who said like yes we actually did go to uh lester bangs's birthday party and that's where that oh yeah whole thing comes from i also Lenny there's a, there's a conflict um of who liked that song and who hated that within the band and i like the idea of watching rem discuss whether or not this song is good or complete garbage i i don't know how you can write us a chorus like the one for It's the End of the World as We Know It and not immediately think, I have written a masterpiece. That is like one of the all-time hooks. Yeah, I mean, I agree, but, you know, that's the that's the thing about ego is that sometimes when you're not the one who who started it, mm-hmm. you, uh, you'll want to say, like, like, I mean, who started the fire? It was always burning <laughs> since the world's been turning. Um, all right, so I think we agree on the second question. And now the third question Arguably the most important question that can be asked in recorded human history, and that is uh, William Shatner, actor, thought-provoking, Twitter star, not really, Uh, and also, most importantly, singer, can do a William Shatner version of one of these songs and only one, which is the one that must be shatted upon, for better or worse. Again, I say Shatner is an actor. And there's not really much acting you can do with a random list of historical terms. It's the end of the world as we know it is something you can do quite a lot with as an actor. I would love to hear him do his version of It's the End of the World as we know it. And I feel fine. Yes, I would feel fine with that. Um, Yeah, boy, these three questions are... Not always as helpful as I want them to be, but they really paint a very <laughs> thorough picture in this. I, I wonder how this is going to end up. Uh, Todd, before we read the results, uh, would you please read some of the listener comments about these two songs to see where they landed? All right. I, I'm going to start with this one because it ties into the last question. John Hyman writes, P.S. I'm imagining the Shatner versions both as weird beat poetry. Oh yeah, it's definitely black and white. He's smoking a cigarette as he as he does in in, in these types of songs. Someone's playing the bongos behind him. Oh yeah, Harry Truman, Doris Day, Wyatt writes, "It's the end of the world as we know it." Is we didn't start the fire on hard mode. Oh, <laughs> it is much harder than the Billy Joel one. Is harder to uh, me- memorize. Because I, I can pr- do a pretty decent approximation of the R.E.M. one. I like the idea of doing, of, of, of which is the harder rock band song. <laughs> well, as the, the harder karaoke song, like if you've got the lyrics in front of you, then uh, the harder one is It's the End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine because the rhythm changes like a lot and it's very fast. And uh, some of them, like the, the words just kind of stumble over each other. So It's the End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine is the harder, harder one to perform if you don't have to memorize the lyrics. But Billy Joel, like, I can, I cannot do We Didn't Start the Fire from Memory, and I've heard it so very many times. I can get the first verse pretty well, but after that I am lost. And the bridge, I, I cannot do it at all. I'm, really, gla- I'm I- really glad we could explain this person's joke. <laughs> Matter of fact, there's like a quiz you can do online. It's like, how many of the, the We Didn't Start the Fire lyrics can you remember? And, uh... I cannot remember quite a bit. Like it's like, Dien Bien Fu falls, and after it's like, what comes after that? God damn it's it! It's rock around the clock. Yes, Dien Bien Fu falls, rock around the clock. Campanelli, Dacron, something something. England's got a winning team. Yep, not England. What, what the fuck am I? T- it's fun watching <sighs> you have a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jacob Igelson writes, and I'm sorry if I mispronounce that, Jacob. He writes. I like Billy Joel. He's fine, this terrible song notwithstanding. But it's like they're playing completely different sports. R.E.M. are at Wimbledon. Joel is playing beer pong at a frat party, and he's not even winning. Yeah, that seems right. That seems fair. Let's see. Mike Ironfist writes, It's the end of the world. It feels like it's about something more substantial and relatable. It's about the feeling of things being a mess and having to brave it all. 
We didn't start the fire is primarily about saying, gosh, we boomers lived through a lot, huh? Sure is a lot of stuff. It's the difference between saying, we'll survive the hurricane, and, hey, a hurricane. I think that's a very insightful comment, Mike. Thank you. I, I really like that explanation. Yeah, I'm glad that he could explain that thing. Because you were just talking about stuff, saying that, that we didn't start the fire was about no, something, I'm, and you were wrong. See, I Mike told you what wrong. was up. Mike knew. Yes. Thanks, Mike. All right. <laughs> Jack Darnell writes, I have two words for you and two words alone. And then he had entered too quickly, and he didn't write the two words. But I already knew what they were anyway, so I'm including. <laughs> Wait, what were the two words? <laughs> Leonard Bernstein. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to come out of... Um come out of left field and have it been like the two words were like, it's been. <laughs> no, the two words were cola wars. Oh, gosh. <laughs> no, he, he resubmitted the comment uh, like a few comments later. It was like, but I, I already knew which ones he meant. All right. I didn't see a whole lot of we didn't start the fire uh, comments on there. And I was like, I, I really was curious, like, why would someone pick we didn't start the fire over? Uh, it's the end of the world as we know it. I, I don't get that at all. And I didn't see a lot of comments. I saw one who was like complaining that uh, it's the end of the world as we know it felt like too South Parky to him, too uh, detached and ironic. Someone said that they're from Long Island, and and perhaps it's that Billy Joel is so omnipresent. That yeah, like if you grew up on Long Island, I'm sure you have Billy Joel written into your DNA. Like you can, you know, every note of scenes from an Italian restaurant. Anyway, John Hyman again writes, "I'm not sure which is worse." The lame parodies of We Didn't Start the Fire or Drunken Frat Boys singing along to It's the End of the World as We Know It. I've seen some decent parodies of We Didn't Start the Fire. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a thing that we would lose if we lost that song forever, is parodies to it, which are many. It's funny that The Simpsons have done both of these songs in some respect. Have they? Yes, absolutely they have. The Simpsons have done everything. Not yes. not not to Simpsons ourselves make a South Park joke, but truly, there is almost nothing that's that's the Simpsons have not done. All right, you know I think we're good with the comments. All right, I what do you, what did you think the split? Who do you think won? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, hmm, hmm, huh, huh. It's such a toss up. Uh, no. Uh, so I, I mean, we both knew that uh, REM was going to win this. Um, I think it's. It's got to be at least an 80 to 20 split. It might be even more than that, though. All right. Here are the results. 494 to 239, a 67% win, REM. Yeah, I was shocked, too. He's making the most shocked look on his face. That's amazing. How is that possible? A full third of voters went for We Didn't Start the Fire. Do you not know the REM song? Like, where? Why? Here's what I can say, Todd. As is so often, we're clueless. Yeah, that's it. I was ex- I was expecting this to be like a hundred to zero. I really did. This is clearly the episode that proves that our concerns about blowouts are always going to be incorrect. <laughs> so we don't have yeah. to. Now we don't have to fucking worry about that anymore. So that's nice, isn't it? Don't have to think about that at all. Yeah, I am genuinely shocked. I mean, that's. I mean, that's still a pretty crushing win, but. But yeah, it's not. I really thought it was going to be so disruptive. Anyway, uh, oh, I know what I should have said to the result of that, which is, how dare you uh, take, a, <laughs> take a drink? Um, I don't know if anybody realizes this, but somebody left a review on iTunes about the fact that I mentioned New Jersey and say the phrase in the year of our Lord and also say, how dare you in every single episode, <laughs> which I am sure is true. Well, now a truly accurate statement, and now it's all I can think of whenever we record these things. It's going to be like a, a permanent segment, it, along with the three questions. There you go. Uh, anyway, that is. Uh, wait, before we end our episode, now I'm intrigued mm-hmm. to know as as song versus song has become more important than ever. Uh, yes. In keeping people entertained during this the quarantine times, the quarantine times. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the next episode? What, are, what is our next matchup? As you know, we do a little bonus episode every month for our patrons uh, for whatever music movie is coming out. This month, we will be doing Trolls World Tour. Oh, yeah. So that one is going to be direct to video. So you can you can watch <laughs> that one with us. 
if you wish. Yeah. And since we're we're doing that, I figured it was time to do a, a little DreamWorks uh, song off. We will be doing Happy from Despicable Me 2 versus Can't Stop the Feeling from Trolls 1. Can't stop the feeling. Okay. You're, you're thinking real hard about which one you're picking, right? I don't. Like, mm, sure. <laughs> you No, that's a look that says I have no strong feelings about either of these songs. I can't wait to... <laughs> Create the artifice <laughs> of feeling. Uh, that'll be what a time. Uh, but yep. All right. Well, that's our episode. Thank you for listening. Um, as always, uh, there are a lot of ways that you can support Zombers a Song, most of which cost you nothing at all. Uh, that including uh, going on iTunes and giving us five stars, giving us a written review. Like, for example, you could point out all of the dumb things that I say every single uh, week. Someone else can go in and, and point out that Todd says, let me say this, a thing that you, that you <laughs> say constantly. I say dumb things, yeah. That's it. Point, Make fun of my dumb things. That's saying. right. I want I want a Todd in the Shadows drinking game. Let us know what it is in a review. And, uh, and then the other thing that you can do that costs nothing is uh, people ask what podcast they should be listening to all the time. They ask on social media, Reddit, and you know, a million other places. So recommend song versus song. And uh, that helps us out a great deal. A bunch of you have already. We appreciate it. Yeah. And if any of you wanted to do that also, like by all means, thank you. Yeah. Uh, And if you want to support us financially, and uh, I will say this one time, and this will be the end of it. Let me say this. um, (laughs) Song versus song is at present. The sole source of income that I have right now. So your uh, any amount that you give is always appreciated. Uh, we do have a Patreon. That is how you have access to the uh, bonus episodes that we do. We've done a number of them already, uh, and it costs you only one dollar a month as of now. Although I imagine if this uh, persists longer than it has, we're going to have to come up with another tier and new things to do. Maybe we'll yeah. do a maybe we'll do a rewatch podcast. Who knows. <laughs> what could we what could we rewatch? Cop rock? Oh boy. Glee. What if we did a Glee rewatch? What up what 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 human nightmares? Oh man, I think I'm coming down with a coronavirus, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's dark, man. That's real dark. All right. Yeah. Um but yeah, you, uh that is that is the way if you want to support us financially, it costs you $1 a month or more if you want to give. Um but that's it. Uh thank you for listening. Uh we will be back with uh, Troll World Tour. Uh, which is about um, evil rock and roll, I guess. Yeah, that sounds right. And uh, the thing that exists. And then, and then another episode of Some Repute. Thank you for listening. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.